Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Grace and peace. It's so good to be with you this morning. I want to thank Lee and Sue for the gracious invitation to be with you this morning. I see many friends um, in the congregation this morning. It's great to celebrate this Lord's Day with you. I'm uh, blown away also by your generosity in the bedding in a bag donation drive. So thank you for participating in that. I also just want to start by saying thank you to the choir. That's um, a song that is always moving for me. It is a a plaintiff song and a a heartbreaking song in many ways, but also when it is performed with such uh, beauty and care, uh, it also, the beauty of the song kind of contains the sadness in a way that's kind of mysterious and and truly wonderful, I think. And this is something we're going to try to explore together when we look today at the Holy Family's flight to Egypt and uh, contemporary refugee experiences, we do want to admit the challenges, uh, even the sadness, but also see the joy there, the resiliency, the beauty, and even what the Lord might be doing in our midst and how we might participate with the Lord in that work. Um, Thank you again for the invitation to celebrate this Lord's Day and to preach uh, and to open God's Word together with you. My name is David Roth. I'm the director of Memorial Drive Ministries. We are a Christian nonprofit in partnership with the Presbytery of Greater Atlanta, and we're located over in Clarkston, Georgia. I got to share a lot of um, my work and our context at Sunday School, but do want to rehash a little bit of that um, with the larger congregation this morning. So we are located over in Clarkston. Clarkston is, would you believe, one of the most diverse square miles in all of North America. Um, There's over 40 different nationalities in the neighborhoods around our campus, and there are over 60 different, 60 different language groups spoken in the apartment complexes all around where we live and do ministry at Memorial Drive. And the reason for that is because Clarkston has been for decades the site of refugee resettlement. Refugee resettlement means people who have fled from persecution and violence being admitted to the U.S. to begin rebuilding their lives. These are people from countries like Vietnam and Bosnia and Kosovo, Rwanda, Sudan, Sierra Leone, Congo, Myanmar, Iraq, Afghanistan, excuse me, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, Ukraine, Somalia, Uganda, Eritrea, Ethiopia. These are our neighbors in Clarkston. Resettlement is this really neat partnership between local communities like Clarkston uh, and the federal government to admit these folks as some of our newest neighbors and friends that we have the privilege to welcome and walk alongside. When we talk about refugees, we're not talking about someone who has left their home to be a tourist or because of an educational opportunity or a job opportunity. They've left because they have been forced to flee. Refugees are people who are fleeing a threat, fleeing from danger. A refugee is someone fleeing from violence, fleeing from war. A refugee is someone fleeing from persecution, someone like the Holy Family in today's text, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. In the passage we read from Matthew 2, the wise men or magi from the east who we recognize from our 
Christmas stories and our nativity scenes, they come to Jerusalem seeking the one born king of the Jews, and they inquire about the whereabouts of that king where you might expect a king to be born, in a palace. Upon learning of the birth of a potential rival, King Herod begins to devise a plan to seek to kill the Christ child to protect his own power. Herod goes so far to send his soldiers to Bethlehem and in an attempt to kill the Christ, massacre the innocent children of the little town of Bethlehem. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. These are the children that Coventry Carol remembers, mourns, perseveres, says goodbye to with its peaceful lullaby. And having been warned in a dream, Joseph rises in the night, takes Mary and Jesus, and they flee to Egypt. It's a story that sadly could be told over and over again in our world today. As Malcolm Guit has written, death squads still spread their curse around the world. Refugees still flee by night. Mothers still weep for innocent children. I first learned of refugee experiences in Bosnia. I studied abroad there while in college, and my focus was the wars of the 90s. Many of you likely remember the siege of Sarajevo and the images on your TV screens of the ethnic and sectarian conflict that ripped the former Yugoslavia apart. And in my travels there, I visited a little town called Srebrenica. It is a starting, startlingly beautiful town in the eastern hills of Bosnia, narrow streets that wind through these uh, beautiful green trees. And those streets will take you to a massive graveyard for the over 8,000 who lost their lives in the 95 attack on the town. Many defenseless young boys who were actively fleeing through those very picturesque woods. And I've been to the graveyard there and shed tears there as I saw women, mothers, laying across mounds of dirt, weeping for those they loved and lost. There's a plaque there that commemorates words that an imam once spoke out over that cemetery. It said, may mother's tears become prayers. The reality is that we live in a world where Rachel still weeps, refusing to be comforted. And it makes me wonder if Jesus ever went back to Bethlehem. If Jesus ever returned to the city where he was born, did Jesus ever meet one of those mothers who struggled with Herod's soldiers but received no mercy? Surely he knew what happened. Surely he saw. Surely it weighed on him as he began his ministry. Surely that event in Bethlehem kind of hung over his ministry and formed him into the person he would be. But I wonder if he ever went back, if he ever looked those mothers and fathers in the eyes, what would he have said? What would he have done? We begin to get a hint of Jesus' heart throughout the Gospel of Matthew. If you keep reading past Matthew 2, we begin to learn more and more about what Jesus is like. We get a hint of Jesus' heart in Matthew 5 when he says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. But perhaps even stronger, we get another hint of Jesus' heart for those who flee danger in Matthew 24. Jesus and his family did return to Judea from Egypt after Herod's death, and Jesus grows up in 
Nazareth, eventually starting his ministry and his calls to repentance and his announcement of the coming kingdom of God. And by Matthew 24, Jesus is beginning to see the writing on the walls. He sees that the temple leadership in Jerusalem have compromised itself with an untrustworthy foe in Rome. Too many have chosen to collaborate with oppression. And then on the other hand, he sees uh, zealots and Sicarii, these forces outside of Jerusalem that were resisting Rome with their own violence, terrorism against the empire, constant and growing attacks against Roman soldiers, tax collectors, and Jews they thought to be on the wrong side. And Jesus sees that all of it is coming to a head. Jesus sees that Rome will begin to marshal forces to march on Jerusalem much the same way that Herod's soldiers descended on Bethlehem all those years ago. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking to this coming Roman might and foretelling this coming trauma, the destruction of the temple. He says, not a stone will be left on stone. But listen to what Jesus says to the mothers and fathers of Jerusalem. Those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go back down to take what's in the house. The one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. Jesus is pleading with the city. Prepare a bag. Be ready to flee. Don't play the hero. Don't stay behind. Get out while you can. Like my dad took me and Mary when I was a newborn, so too take your loved ones. Jesus is counseling, flee. Make the choice that brave refugees choose every day. Choose life, even if it means starting all over. You can see God's tender heart and how close the refugee experience is to Jesus' heart. In the pathos-laden words, pray that your flight may not be in winter. Makes you wonder if his own family's flight to Egypt was in winter, if that Christmas, that first Christmas, was trying to cross the Sinai Peninsula in the biting cold of night. You can't hear those words, pray that your flight may not be in winter, without thinking of images of Sarajevans in the winter of 94, or Kosovars fleeing in the winter of 98, or Rohingya crossing borders in Myanmar to seek safety, or Syrians fleeing every winter for over a decade now. Afghans, too. These are our neighbors in Clarkston. Surely when Jesus says, Oh, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Also verses from the Gospel of Matthew. Surely Jesus is thinking not only of the children of Jerusalem, but the children of Bethlehem and Aleppo and Kabul and Saigon and Mogadishu. Just this past winter, I had an opportunity to be on a military base in Virginia on a temporary assignment working with the International Rescue Committee, trying to welcome and help Afghan evacuees who are arriving to the United States. About 70,000 Afghans had been evacuated and were living on seven or eight military bases across the U.S. And I was one of the caseworkers who got to meet with many of these families uh, who were on their way to local communities like us in Clarkston, where they could begin rebuilding their lives. But while I was on that military base in Virginia, an Afghan man came in and met with one of our caseworkers at the base. 
He was asking for a status update on his case and was eager to leave the base. He made very clear to us. He was living in the barracks on the base at the time. And as winter got colder and colder, the barracks were never warm enough for him. And he told our caseworker words I cannot forget. He said that he had a bullet wound that ached and ached when it got too cold. I couldn't help but remember Jesus' words, pray that your flight may not be in winter. Jesus' heart breaks with the refugees because Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows the feeling of a bullet wound that aches in the winter. Jesus lived it and lives it still in the scars on his hands and his feet and his side. Jesus knows the experience of so many children in our Clarkston community. Jesus knows what it means to have his education interrupted by violence. Jesus knows what it is to struggle with survivor's guilt, the question of why did I get out but others did not. Jesus knows what it's like to have all the relatives and family that should be close to you thousands of miles away. Jesus knows what it is to grow up in a culture that your parents can hardly help you navigate and in a language that you don't speak at home. Jesus knows what it is to be separated from all that nourished your ancestors for centuries. And if we're to walk with Jesus, if we're to be a people who follow in the way of Jesus to get a a taste for all of that, we're going to also be formed by those same stories, those same experiences. And it's going to form us into the kinds of people who can welcome those who flee from danger. What the Gospel of Matthew is doing, it's pulling us into a literary encounter with what it feels like to be displaced. What I'm trying to do in this sermon, too, is pull us into a literary encounter with what it feels like to be displaced, not just for its own sake, but so that it can form us into the kind of people who can respond with compassion and empathy and creativity and joy and resiliency alongside our friends. We will become the people, if we open our hearts up to texts like Matthew 2 and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will become the kinds of people ready to welcome and care for and accompany, walk alongside, support, befriend, and rejoice with the newcomers who are new to our, uh, our cities, the places we call home. We'll become the kinds of people more and more who notice the things we love about the places we call home. And we won't seek to grasp onto those things, to hold them away from newcomers. But we will find the very things that we love the most about the places we call home. And it will be our joy to share those with those who are new so that they too can come to love the things we love about the cities and the places we live. If we listen to the words of our scripture, we'll become people who give generously, people like an employee on our campus at the Amani Women's Center who told me recently, I know what it's like to wake up hungry and so I can't help but give to those in need. If we become formed like a text, like today's passage, we'll become people like the volunteers from the church in Dunwoody who drive all the way down to Clarkston every month to change light bulbs on our campus. Why? Because they believe that hospitality means showing concrete welcome for those who come. Matthew, too, is forming us into volunteers like those at Refugee Family Literacy on our campus that work with refugee moms and with their children. I've seen them patiently working with a four-year-old from Eritrea to teach her how to hold safety scissors so that when she starts first grade, she won't be behind. The testimony of Jesus' flight to Egypt forms us into the people who collect bedding for those who flee danger so that they can have a warm bed when they arrive. To the city that we call home. 
Our faith in a text like today's passage forms us into the kinds of people that Mary and Joseph, as they rode on donkeys to Egypt by night, they longed for a certain kind of person that they would find there. They prayed for a certain kind of community that might welcome them. And as we journey with them to Egypt, in the text of Matthew 2, we will become that kind of community ourselves. You know, a lot of Presbyterian churches right now are exploring Matthew 25, uh, the text where Jesus tells his disciples, whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And I can't think of anything more exciting than that. Contemporary Christians here in our city engaging with that text, what would it mean to serve our neighbor and find Christ there? What would it mean to offer a cup of water to the thirsty and find there the very icon of the living God? What would it mean to feed the hungry and visit the imprisoned and discover in that a kind of portal into the center of heaven? What if those around us are kind of third sacrament, God's grace in our midst? Jesus says in Matthew 25, words you may be familiar with, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. But there is no Matthew 25 without Matthew 2 because it's in Matthew 2 that Jesus so identifies with the refugee that by Matthew 25, to, refu- to welcome the refugee is to welcome Christ himself. As we turn soon to the table, there's a poem I had shared with me recently by one of our staff who's from Sierra Leone. It's a poem that recounts the difficulties that happened when rebels invaded Freetown in January of 1999. But the poem ends with these words. Sing us no more songs from the barrel of the gun. Sing instead of rhythmic sounds from the tabulae, the balangi, the shabura, the cane lane, memories of midnight. One of the days when I was on that military base working with the Afghan population who were there on that base in Virginia, there was this moment I want to share with you, a moment during a lunchtime when a group of the military members who were on the base at the time, uh, they came down the streets. One was playing a tuba, one was playing a trombone, one was playing a saxophone, one a guitar, and a woman led them singing. And they played this jazzy, brassy version of, oh, when the saints come marching in. And out of the barracks streamed hundreds and hundreds of Afghan children who brought their sisters and their brothers, their uncles and their aunts and their mothers and their fathers. They gathered around this little brass ensemble in the streets, singing in a language they didn't understand, but wow, they danced in the streets. And I too was drawn out by the music and I met them in the streets as well. And there was laughter, there was dancing. And there was joy, there was unbridled joy, and we all for a moment caught a glimpse of maybe what's most true in the world. The pain of refugee experiences is true, but maybe what's most true are the moments of laughter, the moments of joy, the moments of dancing in the streets. Tommy Tommy Sands is a songwriter from Ireland who sang these lyrics reflecting on the troubles and the ethnic conflict in Ireland. Don't beat the drum that frightens the children. Don't sing the songs about winning and losing. Sit down beside me, the green fields are bleeding. Sing me the music of healing. 
Sing me the song of a lover returning. The darker the night, the nearer the morning. Sing me the news of a new day that's dawning. Sing me the music of healing. And it's here at this table, as we gather at this table, and we sit down together, we sing the music of healing into our world and into our lives. It's here at this table where we're served by the hands of our refugee Lord, whose hands still bear the marks of violence, testifying that that pain is real, but it doesn't get the last word. It's here where we sing no more songs from the barrel of the gun. We sing instead the rhythmic sounds of feasting and laughter and prayer and thanksgiving and resurrection and dancing in the streets. All that is most true. It's here where we learn together the song of a lover returning. The darker the night, the nearer the morning. We sing together the sounds of a new day that's dawning, the music of healing, the music of welcome. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as you sheltered your son who fled the tyranny of Herod, so too give refuge to all those who flee the violence of this age. May this scripture sink down deep into our hearts. Make us new. Make us into the people your Christ would have us to be. Give us, we pray, hearts like Christ's, hearts with great room in them, that all will know the peace of Christ, that we might give witness to your coming renewal of all things, both in our words and our deeds, that our lives would testify to your kingdom and all of your providence there. All this we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ, who died in innocence and rose again victorious over all injustice. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.